So, um, man, we are so glad that you're here this morning. Isn't it good to be with God's people, to be in His house this morning, to be able to worship together? Uh, man, what a privilege it is just, just to be here, uh, just to know that God is here, God's in control, God loves us, God desires that His people come together and worship Him in spirit and truth. So if you've been traveling with us over the last few weeks, we've been walking through uh, the book of James, one of the most practical books, I believe, in the New Testament, uh, just such a, a precise book on who we are, right, as Christians, what our faith looks like, and how do we live that out? How do we have a faith that really lives, a living faith? And so this morning, we come to actually one of my favorite texts in the book of James, and he talks about a faith that lasts. And he's going to ask several questions of us this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you, would you open to uh, the book of James? Uh, we're going to begin in uh, chapter 4, verse 13, and we'll end up eventually in chapter 5, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have some on the back table. I encourage you to take one of those. Use that. If you don't own a Bible, take that with you. That's our gift to you. We want you to be in the Word of God daily. And so we're going to begin in chapter 4, verse 13. Once you get there, I invite you, would you stand with us this morning, just in honor of reading uh, the Word of God together this morning. So James writes to the church, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, and we'll spend a year there, and we'll trade, and we'll make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears just for a little time, and then vanishes Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him that is sin. Have a seat this morning, the reading of God's Word. What a timely piece of Scripture. I mean, this came up this week, and I, I was just, you know, we were going through a lot of, a lot of things of trying to figure out, you know, how do we live uh, as Christians in a world uh, where everything is seen turned upside down, it's seen chaotic, and, and people are scared, and there's all kinds of things out there, and a lot of times we don't know what to believe, and so we're trying to differentiate all of the things, you know, the truth from things that aren't true, and we go through all of this, and then I read this text, and, and James asks a very pointed question, what is your life? What is your life? What is my life? And, and how does that fit into the greater scheme of what God has planned for you? So Steve Jobs, um, mogul for Apple Industries, I mean, the guy, I mean, had it going on uh, for, for many years. And, and he, said he, he said this about what's most important for his life. He says, he says remembering that I will be dead soon is the greatest motivator behind my job. He says, I, I've encountered lots of things, big choices, tasks that have to be done every day because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment, of failure, he says, these things just fall away at the face of my own death. I thought that was very interesting. Steve Jobs, I mean, you know, not only business mogul, but the guy who, who put... Apple on the map, this guy says that at the end of everything, the thing that motivates him to make choices is his own death. Author Randy Alcorn recalled a two-month mission trip he took with his family, uh, which included a visit to Egypt. While he was in Egypt, Alcorn's host took them 
to this abandoned graveyard, and he wanted to show them uh, William Borden's uh, grave. William Borden lived from 1887 to 1913. He was heir to the Borden Dairy Estate and Fortune, but William was also a millionaire at the age of 21. Can you imagine being a millionaire at 21 years old? And so, um, so he renounced his fortune, giving nearly all of his wealth to missions. And his heart's desire was to take the gospel to the Muslims in China. On his way to China, William stopped at Egypt and, uh, to study Arabic. But months later, he contracted spinal meningitis, and he never made it to China. He died there. And so Alcorn writes, he, he knelt down beside his gravestone, and he began to wipe it off, and he wanted to see what was on William Borden's gravestone. And as he dusted it off, this is what it said. After describing his love for Christ and his commitment to his love for his Muslim people and his sacrifice for God's kingdom, the inscription ended with some words he said I wrote down on the spot. And he said, I've never forgotten them to this day. The inscription ended with this. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for my life. My life is all of that. And so then Andy Alcorn wrote, he said, and I thought, Lord, what's the explanation for my life? And so that's the question James is asking all of us this morning. He was asking the church back then is, what is your life? What is the explanation for your life? And so the big idea for us this morning is actually framed in a question for you. How do we know when we are living a faith that lasts? How do we know when we're truly exhibiting a faith that is going to last? What is the explanation for my, my life? It's just knowing about God enough. It's just knowing that I'm going to die someday enough. It's just knowing that I'm going to go to heaven. Is that enough? See, you only have one life to live, and so I would ask you another question on top of that this morning. What are you doing with the life that God has called you to live? How are you living it? And so I believe there are three principles to living a life that lasts. The first one is when, when we daily acknowledge the sovereignty of God over life and death, that he is in control of my life, not me. He's in control of whether I live or die, right? I mean, I, I could go out tomorrow and I could contract the coronavirus. It could happen, you know. But is, is that under completely my control? No, because I don't know what tomorrow holds. And that's what Randy, I mean, what uh, James is saying and what Randy Alcorn was saying. He says, what is my life? I mean, how do I know what tomorrow holds? See, what are the desires of your life? I think that's the greater question. What do we desire to do with our life? Everybody has plans. So I'm, I shared that I'm working on a doctoral dissertation. And so I had to do this paper over leadership, right? And so there's this book that talks about the keys to, I mean, it's a really boring book, by the way, but it's keys to successful leadership. I've read hundreds of those right? And, and I'm like, oh man, not another book on leadership. And so I read this thing, kind of cynical. And at the very end of it, he, he really asks a similar question, right, to James. He said, if, if you could change one thing about your life and it would lead to your ultimate success as a leader, what would that be? And I was like, wow, that's, that's a pretty, pretty bold statement to make. You know, what would you change about your life? And so then, if you look at the text this morning, so James goes on to say, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go in such and such a city, such a town, spend a year there, and then we're going to trade and make a profit, and then we just kind of go to the next thing, right? So how do we live our lives? I think that's what James is saying. Do we just go here 
and there and have no rhyme or reason why we're there, what the purpose is of us being there, what God's plan is, ultimate plan for us being there. See, time is life for, for all of us, and nothing more, nothing less. The way you spend your hours and your days count. Every second, every minute of our day counts. So we can become so consumed with the material world that we miss what God has planned. How do we miss what God has planned? Well, there are actually three levels, um, I believe, of where man lives. We either live at one of these levels, okay? So um, one of them is the sewer level, okay, of society of the world. I'm not saying you're sewer, okay? I'm just saying that's the level. It's the unsaved. Those people are unregenerate. They're sinners. They don't know they're sinners, but they're living in an evil world. They're living in the filth of their sin, right? And so that's, that's a level a lot of the world lives at, okay? And they don't know it. There's also the street level. The street level are for people who do know Christ, okay? And they know what the world is like, and they know what, what, what everything leads to, an eternal destination, but they're unsurrendered. They haven't surrendered their life to God's will, so they're like those that say, hey, I think we'll just go here, or we'll do that, or we'll do this, and we have no rhyme or reason why we're doing what we do, why we live our life. And then I believe the third level is where we all want to be, and that's sky level. It's the uncondemned, those that live for the kingdom of God. As it says in Romans 8, when there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we live daily in Christ Jesus, when we ask that question, what is your life? Have you, I mean, I've never been asked that question other than here in Scripture. I've never had somebody come up and say, hey, what's your life? What, what is your life? What's your purpose for being here? So the shortness of life actually has to come into play. And that's, a, that's, what, that's what James highlights. It's the brevity of life. Listen to what he says right after that. He says, for you are a mist. Some text says a vapor, right? It's here one minute and gone the next. So we lived on, uh, in South Texas on the coast for, I don't know, 11 years, 12 years, something like that. We lived on Lavaca Bay. And they had this thing that rolled in called fog, Right? And occasionally we'll have it here if it gets real humid, but not real often. There, it was a daily occurrence, right? And so this stuff would roll in, okay? But as soon as the wind would start to blow, it would just blow it away. And by about midday, it was gone. It just evaporated, okay? So that's one way to look at it. But I think he's even talking about a shorter thing. So if you talk about a mist... Okay, it, I mean, you can't even hardly see a mist, right? Because it's there, it blows into the air, and then it dissipates. He said, that's what your life is. In fact, Scripture tells us that we're destined to die once, so we only have one life to live. Accidents take lives all the time. So basically, Scripture says you're not assured tomorrow. You're not assured even the rest of today. None of us are. We don't know what that holds. People die all the time. Death is not a discriminator of age. So we plan for the future, but we don't really live for the future because we don't know. We don't know what that holds. Don't count on your time. So I think that's what everybody's counting on, right? We said, man, I have more time to do this. or I have more time to get this right. or I have more time to plan and do this. I'll be honest with you. I had really 
for a long time, a zero desire to do a, a doctorate. I just thought, man, I don't need it. I don't want it. It's way too much work. But the older I get, I start thinking about, you know, I don't know how much longer I have. <laughs> you know, I may not be able to do that later. Why not do it in the present? And so when we're thinking about the shortness of life, we don't count on first time, and we don't count on possessions. Because the Bible says, don't store for yourself treasures here on earth. Because they don't last. They're going to go. I mean, you can't take it with you. Everybody eventually somewhere in life, is, and I know it's a morbid thought to think about on Sunday mornings, can end up six feet underneath the ground. We are not assured that any of this life is going to last any longer past today. So, so if I look at things that way, I have to think of my spiritual life, the spirituality of our life. In fact, Isaiah 55, 6, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. When God speaks, obey him. So seek God. Seek God in those times, right? We talked about last, night, last week drawing near to God, right? If you look in James 3, he says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So maybe sometimes what James is talking about when he's talking about the brevity of life is you don't know how long you have here to be an agent of, for the kingdom of God. And so are we listening to what God's telling us to do? The third thing, the third way people live their life sometimes is the selfishness of it, right? We live for ourselves. Man, that's, that's, that's our culture today. It's a me generation, right? We even coined a whole thing called memes, right? And so memes are, are those little representations of ourselves. I don't have one yet. I don't even know how to do it. But I know I get those all the time now. People have memes, and, and uh, I don't know, where's, I'm going to pick on Craig, or he won't mind Craig. Uh, he has a meme. I love his because it looks just like him, right? Comes up my family going, that's awesome. That looks like Craig, right? But why, why do we do that? Why do we a lot of times do that? I, I think sometimes it's because it's a representation of who we are, and deep down inside, all of us are selfish creatures, so we're living many times for ourselves. The fourth way people see life is the sorrow of our lives. And this is the hardest thing. In Proverbs 29.1, it says, He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. The hardness of our heart causes the Spirit of God many times to leave us. This is a hard reality of life. Many times when people go through really difficult situations, they harden their hearts against God. I had a... Uh, a young lady in my uh, student ministry, um, she, her name was Abby, and she grew up in our ministry, and, and uh, she took a job in Port O'Connor at Clark's uh, Seafood Restaurant, so she'd worked many late nights, and there's a little narrow road that goes out to Port O'Connor from Port Lavaca. If you've ever been on those, um, we call them rural, rural, I can't even say it, roads in Texas. They don't have any shoulders on them, right, and you've got to be real careful because you could get off the road real easy. And, or farm to market, that's what my wife calls them. Um, so anyway, it's one of those. And so she's coming back late one night. And from the best that, that people have been able to discern, something had fallen, probably a CD. This was a while ago when people actually played CDs in their car. And it had fallen into her floorboard next to her. And what does she do as she's driving? She reaches down to grab that CD. And she comes back up and notices she's going off the road. What's most people's response when they go off the road? They overcorrect. She overcorrected, rolled her car. She wasn't wearing her seatbelt, was ejected, wound up underneath the car, 
Um, several of my really good friends uh, were in law enforcement at that time. They were some of the first ones to the accident. They knew immediately who it was. Small community. People know everybody. It was Abby. And um, she was near death. And, um, and I remember after she died, I, I got a phone call to go out to the parents' house and share with them. I don't know why the police didn't go first, but they asked me to go. And so I was the one that got to go share uh, of Abby's death. And I remember standing at the doorway with her parents there, and it was this immediate just hardening of the heart. And you could tell it, even though they knew God, and, and they, 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 they followed Christ, and, and it, rightfully so, there were all these, why God, why would you take our daughter from us? And so when, when James asked the question, what is your life? He's saying life is short. And many times when those things come, when those things happen in our life, right, we begin to harden our heart against God because we're like, God, we're so tied to this world. We're so tied to this life. So when we come to this point in our life, we have to ask the question, what is the duration of your life? So they're saying people live longer today, right? That that many of us are living into their 90s or, or even past that, but but to understand what is our life, Scripture has a lot to say about this. this. In fact, in that question, what is your life, Paul leaves in, in Acts chapter 18, 22, it talks about how Paul leaves Antioch, and, and he says, if the Lord wills, you know, I'm going to come back here, right? So he already says it's, it, whether it's God's plan or not. There's several different descriptions of uh, the brevity of life. Uh, in Psalm 102, 11, it says, my life is a passing shadow. Okay, it's swiftly like the evening shadows. If you've ever been out in the evening and watched as the shadows you'll move quickly. Also talks about uh, swift. Job 7.6 says life is a faster than a weaver's shuttle. This is quick as the blinking of an eye. And then uh, in Psalm 90.10 it says it is sudden. Seventy years are given to us and some even live to be eighty but even the best of our years, the Bible says, are fleeting. So, so what do we do with all this? What do, what do we do with the information of what is your life? Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as is appointed man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, right? And so literally what, what's happening and, and what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that we're all destined at some point to leave this earth, right? So we're either going to leave in death or Jesus Christ is going to come back and resurrect the church. So um, rock singer David Boy uh, died in 2016, but he wrote a song called Seven. In this song in which he proclaimed his non-belief in God, he said, the gods forgot, they've made me so, I forget them too. But later in life, he actually admitted questioning spirituality. In fact, he came up with lots of spiritual questions and and. And one of those was, what, what do you see yourself doing in the next few years? And when people would ask that, he expressed more openness to spiritual things. And he said, only the Lord knows. I don't know. He said, I never thought I would be such a, a family-oriented oriented guy. But the older I got, I began to think about the time I had with my kids, with my family. He began to play all of this over and over again in his head. And then the shock is, he says, of all cliches are true. The years really do speed by. He says, life really is as short as they say it is. And there really is a God. Now, this is a, this is a kicker, but he says, 
I don't know who that is. And, and the, the, the scary thing is, so he, somewhere inside of him, this, etern, this eternal clock started ticking and saying, there has to be something more to this life. But what is life to most people? Well, this is the second question or second statement. I would say that when the question precedes the answer in your life, okay, then you're truly understanding what God has planned for you. So look at the next part. So he says, instead we ought to say, and this is in verse 15, if the Lord wills, we'll live this or do that. So do you ask that question? You say, if this is in God's plan, I will do this. You ever hear uh, in Texas, one of the euphemisms people use a lot, Lord willing, you know, Lord willing, I'll do this or I'll do that, right? Well, what do people mean? If it's in God's plan, I don't know God's plan fully. We're going to talk about that in a minute because I think there are things you do know. And I think sometimes we're not focusing on what we do now. See, the whole design and plan of God for your life and my life is to fulfill His will, right? And so you were created, and you live on this earth. Your DNA was put together and formed, right, to do God's will, to do His plan. That's why He made you. That's why He made me. So what is the plan of God? Well, we know the ultimate plan is to glorify Him, right, and our life lived for Him. And so how do we know if it is God's will or not. And I, I get that question asked really often. How do I know what God's will is? When I was a student pastor, that was probably the top question students would ask me graduating high school. How do I know what the right, right path is for me? So when my son was uh, a junior, um, actually just before he started his junior year, he wasn't really sure what he wanted to do you know, uh, with his life. And his mom and I kind of tried to step back and say, okay, God's got to lead him. We don't know. You'll find out, parents, okay? Because the picture in my head is <clears throat> 30-year-old living in my basement or in my house and doesn't have direction in his life. I'm like, you have to have a plan, Troy. What's your plan, okay? So I want to say what James is not saying is not to plan. See, I think that sometimes our, our other reactions, we're, not, we're just not going to plan. We're going to let the Lord lead me wherever he will. Well, you might be led off a cliff somewhere, okay? So you, you, planning is good. In fact, in, in the Bible, Paul planned. He planned his missionary journeys. There was a planning process that went into effect. So when you ask, how, how do we know God's will? Well, I think the first thing we have to understand is God is sovereign over all of life's activities and accomplishments. What does that mean that God's sovereign? That means he, he ultimately controls it all, okay? And so... The first thing I would say is we need to begin to see God's will. How do we see God's will? Acts 9, 6 says, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. This is right after Paul was blinded, remember, by, and, and Jesus appeared to him. And he goes into the city. Jesus tells him what to do. Before he does, you remember what he asked after he's blinded? He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you require of me? Is that a prayer you pray regularly? Is that a prayer I pray regularly? Lord, what do you want me to do? Help me to see it. The second thing is surrendering to God's will. Do we surrender to God's will with our life? I think many times we surrender to lots of things, right? We may surrender to our television or surrender to our work or surrender to, to lots of things in our life. What does it mean to surrender? Surrender means you give your will over for God. I mean, it's not what I want, it's what he wants, right? 
It's kind of like that strong-willed child, if any of you have one of those, that's just going to push the boundaries, and they're going to test you left and right, and they're going to be pulling you one way, and you're wanting to pull them back another. Okay? Do we truly surrender to God's will? And then we seek His will first. Romans 12, 1-2 says, Only as we are dedicated to God can we do His will. So it, so it says that we are transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? so that we'll know what God's will is. So, so if you're not seeking Him, how are you going to know? God doesn't just, He's not going to give you more things if you're not even doing what He's called you to do already. And then, are we satisfied when we get the answer? I think that's the million dollar question. Am I satisfied when God tells me what to do? Did you know, so, so let me give you a little hint. There are more things that you already know because you have this book in your hands of what God wants you to do, Right? then that maybe little 10% or that sliver of your life you're not sure about. Are we doing what God has already called us to do? See, we know many times the sins of commission, but sometimes we ignore the sins of omission. You know what those are? So the sins of commission are those things the Bible tells us not to do. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not cheat, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet, right? So we, people know those. Even people who didn't grow up in church, they, they know what those look like. What are sins of omission? Those are the things God calls us to do. He already tells us to do. Be loving. Be kind. Help those in need, right? If someone is, 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 is a widow or poor within your church, you should be ministering to them. We, we see all of these things, but James reminds us just as serious as lying, coveting, stealing, doing all these things are. So, so let me paint a bigger picture. To make it even more serious, we know all through Scripture, talks about sexual immorality, especially in the New Testament. Paul talks about it a lot in, in really, really graphic detail. And we look at this at all the, all the things that he talks about against sexual immorality and to flee it and all of these things. But he also tells us other things that we should do. What about the person who repeatedly ignores God's word to care for the poor and those in need, right? He says they're worse than an unbeliever. He says to not care for those in need, particularly our brothers and sisters in time of need. See, many times we know the things God tells us not to do, but we're not doing what he already called us to do. In fact, C.S. Lewis says there are two kinds of people, those who say, God, thy will be done, and those who say to God, all right, have it. He says to those people, all right, have it your way. So there's two ways of looking at that. So you either say, God, your will be done in my life. Whatever you will, I'll do it. Or you can be like the church in, in, in Romans chapter 1 where it says that he gave them over to the lusts of their flesh because over and over again they failed to do what he called them to do with their lives. Scientists have discovered, um, I didn't even know that there was such a thing, but they've discovered what they call junk DNA. Okay, So basically what junk DNA is, according to Matt Woodley, uh, he says it's, it serves no purpose in your body. It's just there. It's useless. It's a useless part of your DNA. Thousands of years ago, the Bible declared that every human being was fearfully and wonderfully made. Now modern science is saying, no, you're not. You have this junk DNA inside of you. Well, in 2012, a team of 440 science, scientists from 32 labs completely debunked that theory. In fact, they said the, the DNA that is called Junk is now called the hidden treasure in your life. It serves a greater purpose than almost all the other DNA put together. 
at the things that they were calling junk, God says, I perfectly made and planned and put there for a purpose in your life. So this is number three. When the treasure of great price outweighs the treasure of this life, you start to do as well. Look at chapter five real quick. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up for treasures in the last day. Behold, the wages of the laborers who, who mowed your fields with you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgent. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So let me point out a couple of things about this text. First, this is one of the first places that James doesn't call them brothers. So we can assume or look at that, that he's probably talking to an unbeliever. He's talking to those who don't know Christ, right? So what part does this have in our life? Well, riches have kept many people out of God's kingdom for, for centuries. I mean, riches, in fact, Jesus even warned against it. He said that not that being wealthy or having things is a bad thing, but he says they can become the root of evil in your life. That can cause you not to see God's greater riches. And so I think the, the big picture in this text, he says, God is coming, right, to judge the sinful. He's coming to judge the sinful The next six verses, James is most likely addressing these unbelievers, but he's also addressing us. He says, because just above that, he says, what is your life? What are you doing with it? And now he's saying, hey, look at all of these things that can detract you from what's really important. Recall Jesus' parable in Luke 12, verse 13 through 21. He says, someone for the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And and he said to him, who appointed me a judge? an arbitrator over you. He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed and the abundance of possessions, right? And I love, Jesus has a little bit of cynicism in there too because, you know, he says, who am I to be an arbitrator between these things that don't matter? He says, who, who am I to arbitrate your, whether you get the inheritance or not? He's saying, that doesn't matter. That is not what matters in this world. See, your hearts are filled with the wrong kind of treasure. It's what what James is saying. So so we're suffering many times because of our riches. There's physical suffering. There's psychological suffering. So say when somebody, I, I will never be a millionaire. I'll just put that out there right now. I just don't see that happening in my life at all, okay? Especially if my retirement goes the way it's going right now, that ain't gonna happen. Okay, and, and so and, and I'm OK with that. But they say people who are very wealthy, OK, who have everything that the world has to offer, OK, are always, always wanting more. Right. Because it's never satisfying in their life. And so he says, I'm coming to deliver the faithful because you look at all this. He talks about the treasures that you store up in the last day. But then he talks about the laborers and that's the believer. He said, They've kept watch, they've mowed the field, they've done the work of the kingdom of God. They are following God's will. And he says, 
just wait. Hold on, right? All the times that you think that, that your sacrifice is in vain, he says it's not. So he's coming to deliver the faithful. Now for a moment to put yourself in the shoes many times of struggling, impoverished people. You hear the word of God towards the unbelieving rich, but you know that he's coming, and that's what he says, I'm coming. I'm coming to, to liberate and set free once and for all. So the value of your gold and silver, you know, in, in God's economy is dropping drastically every day, right? Because it doesn't mean anything. It's not what you should be looking for. So what is your life? He talks about in the day of slaughter. One of my illustrious jobs, I don't think it's ever been on dirty jobs before, but I worked in a meatpacking plant uh, for about a year. Not one of my favorite jobs. Um, so I took it while I was in college uh, to help uh, support myself. And so every day I would come in to the meatpacking plant and they give me these set of knives, right? They're not Ginsu, trust me. And I strap them on, strap my metal vest on, and, and I, I walk past the chute where the cows are coming down to slaughter, right? And you can hear them. I mean, it's pretty loud in there. It's just this big warehouse echoes with the XL meatpacking plant. And I hear the cows, and I go to the conveyor belt, and I have my little cubicle area. <laughs> this is sad. I have a little cubicle area, and these pieces of meat, and I had a steak about this big. I'm supposed to cut out this big hunk of meat. And then USDA, if I didn't cut it right, they'd mark it with blue, send it back there, and I have to cut it some more. And, but as I begin to think about this, as I walk by, I think, what, what is the life of a cow, right? You know what? Cows have it pretty good for the most part, right? They get to eat all the food they want because you want fat cows. I don't know any, any rancher that wants skinny, pale cows. They want fat cows, right? You get to have babies, so you're propagating your field, right? Sounds like a pretty good life. Well, Somewhat, okay, but it, it, it's a life of a cow. Cow's life is pretty easy. They're not even ridden for the most part, unless you're a bull. I mean, you know, I guess we do that, but for the most part, cows don't even have to be saddled. They just get to be fat and happy up until a point. And what's the point they're not when they die, when their life is done? What is your life? You know, all these things may seem good for us for a time, but they're going to end. This world is coming to an end. Our life will come to an end eventually, somewhere, someday. And nobody knows when that is. Where do you find your satisfaction in life? I love, I uh, mentioned it earlier, Matthew 6, 19-21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He says, There where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to make a really, I guess, bold statement in some ways this morning. Did you know there are a lot worse things for a Christian than death? Because for a Christian, death is new life, right? We pass from this life into the kingdom of God. I remember my grandmother, um, she had cancer. She was terminal, and she was on hospice at mom and dad's house. And if you've ever had that happen, man, I can sympathize with you. We, I've been there uh, actually with several of, of my grandparents, and my mom currently has cancer. Thank the Lord he's allowed her to live longer on this earth. But as, as a believer, the older you get, what are you looking forward to, <laughs> right? 
What is your life? And I think the bigger picture James is asking is, what are you doing currently with your life, right? But I think it is a looking forward. Think about, think about your toys as a child, right? You doubtlessly spent hours playing with certain toys, right? Where are those toys right now? Are they in your house? Uh, I don't know. Some of you guys may still have your toys from childhood. Okay, I'll give you that. Maybe you kept your whoopee, right, and repatched it together and hold on to it. But maybe not. When Troy came home from college this time, Every time he has more stuff, I don't know how that is. And so, uh, you know, we use his room as our slash guest room. So I said, Troy, you got to get a lot of this stuff in your closet. And so we're looking at all these things from his childhood in there. And we're going, you're going to have to make some choices. Do you really need all this stuff? And so I went out later that day to put stuff in the trash can. Our lid was up about that high. And I'm going, man, he cleaned house. He just threw that stuff away like it was nothing. But Why? Because in the reality, in the scheme of things, we enjoy things we have on this earth for a time, but they're fleeting. And I think that's what James is saying. See, Christians and non-Christians go to the same grocery stores. We shop in the same malls. We view the same websites. We purchase from the same places. But the deposits we are making into this world and this life, you can't take with you. The only deposit that really matters for anything in the bank of eternity is where are you at with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with him? Because nothing else will matter. How do you plan your life past this? So last question, where's your heart? Where's your heart this morning? Where's my heart, right? So Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, right? What do you treasure in this life? See, in heaven, no one can steal your treasure. In heaven, your treasure will not pass away, but remain eternally. Christians live for eternity. And we send up treasures to heaven. We send up treasures to the kingdom. Every time someone uh, uses the gifts that God has given them and serves Him and loves people and loves this world, we're sending treasures up to the kingdom of God. What are you living for in this life? What is eternity worth to you? What things have you been putting into the bank of the kingdom of God? What will be said of you? Once you've lived this life, and this life is gone. So this book I was telling you I was reading, one of the last exercises he had us do in this book. By the way, this, this author, as far as I can tell, is not a Christian. He's not a believer, right? Which kind of surprised me. But he says, I want you to think about your funeral. He said, you come in, and, you, and there's four people. And they're getting up, and they're testifying to how you lived your life. And he says, they're, they're all talking about you. What do you want somebody to say about how you lived your life once you're gone? I know most people say, I don't care what people say <laughs> once I'm gone. People may have some bad things to say about our lives many times. But I began to think about that question, and I thought, what will be said by the one that matters about how I live my life? What will take for anything in this life? for me to truly change and to live for the kingdom of God. What is your life? What are you living for? Are you living for the kingdom of God? Or are you living for your own selfish desires? I think that the greater thing we can do as believers, if, if you take this, where, where do you go with this? I think we need to maybe, maybe daily evaluate, what does God really want me to do? Am I following God's plan or my own? How, how am I living out the will of God? And it starts with daily being in His Word, daily following what He's already called us to do, right? 
And so we take these things and we live that out, right? Um, my daughter and son-in-law were debating about whether um, they were going to stay at the current place they are. And my son-in-law was, he was uh, interviewing for a lot of different jobs. So he had an offer for a job. Uh, <coughs> Pops and Grand didn't want him to take it selfishly because it took our granddaughter further away from us, right? Way out in the Egypt land of West Texas. And I'm like, I said, Chris, there's nothing out there, bro. That's just a barren, anyway. It was in Odessa, Texas. And so it's way out there among the old Derricks and all that. And so I, I said, are you, are you sure this is God's will for you, man? You might want to pray about this a little more. God hasn't quite revealed that to me. And so they began to pray about it. And he had another job offer actually in the town where they live at a high school. And so he was debating between those things. And my daughter texted me, it's really, well, it's not an odd question to ask, but she said, how do you know whether it's God's will when I have no clear answer from God? You just had, you know, miraculously through somebody or some other situation just made it clear. She said, always in my life, she said, things seem clear, right? So how do we know if it's God's will when it's not clear? And the first thing I told her, I said, are you already doing what he's called you to do? I said, be faithful to what God has called you to do, right? And, and we trust him to lead us the rest of the way. I can't tell you if it's God's will or plan or not, right? But if you're faithful to what he's called you to do, I will tell you, you can trust God. He is always faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning, God, that you've given us this life to live. And Father, the treasure of the kingdom of God is beyond anything this world has to offer. Father, I pray we would not live in fear, but we would live in victory. That we wouldn't live a life in shame and regret, but we live a life for the kingdom of God. And Father, that you would daily begin to impress on our hearts just to, just to follow your plan, to do what you've already called us to do, Father, and to trust you with the rest, to know that in your time, in your plan, in your will, Father, you're going to share and reveal those things to us. And Father, I pray for those here this morning, Father, that are, maybe they're still on that sewer level of the world. They don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. Father, I pray this would be the day that they would give their lives fully to you and that they would, for the first time, Father, that they would receive the gift of salvation and they would become a part of the kingdom of God. Father, we love you and we thank you for all you've given us and all that you are going to show us in our lives from now and throughout all eternity. We pray all these things in your most awesome name. Amen. So this morning, in just a minute, we're going we're gonna to worship together. But maybe, maybe you're here this morning, and the greater question for you isn't even, what is God's will for me? It's just, how do I know that I have eternal life? How do I know I'm headed for the kingdom of God? Well, the Bible is very clear that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. And it's all about a relationship with Him. It's not about what you do. It's about what He's already done through you for you through Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to begin seeking Him and, 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 and just pray to Him and say, God, I, I don't know what all this is about, but I want to believe in You. We're, we would love to have conversations with You. I'll be available after the service. Landon up here will be available. We'll have people back at the table. We'd love to pray with You and talk with You about that. Just find one of us this morning and, and, and let us let us begin to pray about your relationship. And for those who are followers of Christ, 
okay? Let's daily be asking that question. What is our life and how are we living it for the kingdom of God?